Today, uh, we're going to continue in our series uh, regarding Advent and expectant praise by looking uh, at Gabriel's uh, visitation with Mary. So uh, this series of expectant praise, what we're doing is we're journeying through Luke chapter 1, uh, and each week going to just take a portion of it and really press in uh, to, uh, man, what it means for us during this season. And so again, uh, just really to set our minds and set our hearts into this series, I want us to remind us that Advent uh, is a time when we remember and celebrate the arrival of our saving King Jesus. Not only that, but it's a season where we seek uh, in the midst of everything seeming to move faster and calendars uh, which seem like they have little to no time left. Uh, man, this allows us space. We, we want to make this a time where we create space to proclaim the gospel to those around us by stirring up our hearts in expectant praise. As we remember, not only that Jesus came, but that, man, we today are waiting. And one of the ways that y'all can do that, something we do each year, uh, is we try to give you an Advent guide. And so you can find these at our welcome table. Uh, man, uh, man, if you want to grab one of these, this uh, is an Advent guide that walks you through uh, the first part of the book of Hebrews that we're actually going to be walking through next year. Uh, but it's by a guy named Tim, Ch- Tim Chester. And really the goal of this is just each day to take a bit of time just to, man, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so you can grab one of those. Uh, but, you know, um, yeah, we want to be reminded that we too are waiting. We wait, we long, we hope for Christ to return. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to praise in the midst of our expectant waiting. And really, we do this in a few ways. Uh, man, first and foremost, we want to see uh, that, that we would be a people that posture our hearts so that we would actually be reminded. I want us to be reminded that Christ has come and that he's coming back. Uh, man, we want to use this season to slow down so that God, as we're being reminded, he might stir up praise and worship and adoration and awe in our hearts. Tim Chester, in this year's Advent guide, he said that this is the time when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, yet the irony is that it so easily gets full of things that hinder our view of Jesus. For many of us, Christmas is a busy time. We're celebrating the birthday of Jesus, but he ends up not being invited to his own party. There's no room for, there was no room for him at the first Christmas, and if we're not careful, there's no room for him at our Christmases. So we want to slow down enough, we want to be present enough that God might actually stir up our hearts in remembering, man, this story of Jesus. Next, we want to intentionally live out what it means to both wait and focus. I want us to learn to really purpose ourselves not to allow the craziness of the holidays to take away our sense of anticipation. That we would learn to slow down, to think, to pray, to learn, and ultimately that we would look for opportunity daily to praise the one who came and is to come. You see, we want this season to lead each of us to spend this season uh, diving into deeper worship. 
You see, this is what it means to live out expectant praise. And this is what the stories that we're looking at in this series draw us into. And both in the struggle and in the fruit. If you're with us last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah. Man, there's some struggle there. There's some unbelief, right? Like he's having a hard time praising in the midst of what's going on in his circumstances. I mean, praise God. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see the redemption and the fulfillment of what Gabriel told him. But with that, let's look now at our second story in the series by reading Luke 1, verses 26 through 29. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right, so following our time looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see that in the sixth month, Gabriel was once again sent by God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a a virgin named Mary who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, for all of us, but maybe not, but for I believe for most of us, you probably know or you might have heard this story. And so these couple of verses, these first verses are likely things that maybe and we do this in Scripture, right? Like we'll read stuff, especially if it's like a long list of names, you know, he begot him and you go to the Old Testament. You're just like, well, it's just names and land, names and land, all uh, all of it. Right. Uh, But we can read verses like this and we can just skip over and say, well, I got to get to the good part. But. What I'm going to argue today is that even these verses are the good part. I would argue that all of God's word is the good part. And so we can't just look over these verses and move on because, man, what happens uh, in light of the story of expectant praise? What happens in these verses that we're leading into? Man, these details are needed and shouldn't be looked over. You know, really, when we think about the magnitude of this story that took place over 2,000 years ago, combine, so if you have that, but combine that with, man, you today, like exactly the way that you walked in here, right? Exactly the way that maybe your heart walked in here. Let's say that because we can put on the facade, right? Like we can put the smile on. We, We can act like we're ready. We can raise our hands. And yet, man, what's going on in your heart? So you have both of those things, something that happened long ago, but where you are today with the busyness and pace of this season, man, is it not easy to look over things? I mean, how many of you already find yourself just kind of looking over things in this season? You're just so busy and you find, you know, uh, man, whether it's forgetting or just, man, taking something that's secondary and making it the ultimate thing. How many of you are stressed about Christmas gifts and all the places that you have to go and be? Maybe even for some of you, you feel looked over. Maybe it's not just this season. Maybe it's kind of all the time. You just kind of feel looked over and discarded. You see, it's easy to point that out in this season, but really I think it's commonly always taking place around us. Specifically, 
here because it's so apparent, right? Like I shared last week, I went to Walmart, unfortunately, on Black Friday, and I saw some craziness, right? A guy standing on a car yelling, and I was like, what's this? Uh, so I took a picture uh, and just moved on about my day. Uh, but I actually had to go the next day, which I believe was even a bigger mistake, because on Saturday, I needed to get some stuff for decorating the outside of the house. And guess what? That's what everybody else was doing. Uh, and so that little corner of Walmart was just packed. And if you know anything about it, that little corner of Walmart is connected to what? The toy aisle, right? And so I went there and then I had to go to the back of the store. So I had to walk through the toy aisle. And it was just craziness. But, but it wasn't that, like, I can understand people are looking at gifts and all these things. It wasn't that. It was that people were blocking the aisles. But they, they were looking over everything else because they were doing this. And I'm just like standing there. Like, they, they won't move over. They don't even notice me. They're there to get gifts and look at gifts and they're, they're overlooking all of that and all the people around them because they're just scrolling. I was like, what is going on? I finally made it to the back with not a whole lot of joy and then I got out of that joker, right? It's easy for us to be distracted and look over. I mean, in life, like right now, or maybe just generally, like we all, like you can all think of a season where you felt looked over, right? Kind of just cast off. And I would argue that whether it happened 15, 25, the last week, however many years ago or months ago, man, you're probably, if you're not giving that to Jesus, you're carrying it with you. But we all feel that in moments and at times. Any of you feel that due to the pace of your current life right now, you're looking over and disregarding the main things in your life for the sake of secondary and meaningless things? You see, this season, I believe, more than most can turn our eyes so quick to things that distract and cause us to miss out on the beauty of the normal every day. I mean, this is every Hallmark movie, right? During Christmas time. I saw somebody post some, a buddy post something this week and he said every Hallmark movie is an overworked father that's a businessman that's disregarding his whole family and then he has this uh, come to Jesus moment, right? Or something happens and then the rest of the whole movie, I don't watch Hallmark movies, but the rest of the whole movie is how do I restore those things, right? Like we get that, right? Like, you know, Something I, I tend to do during the holiday seasons, during Advent, is try to dismantle just bad things about the Christmas story. Something I tell each and every one every year is that the wise men weren't there, okay? Uh, it, they came later, right? So even this week, I was at my mother-in-law's house, and I went around her house to all her nativity scenes, and I turned the wise men the other way, because uh, they're not there, right? So they don't, they don't get their time until later. Uh, but we, we see this looking over even in all of our Christmas movies. So here's another one, um, a movie I love, Home Alone. Home Alone is a movie of looking over things, right? Like go back and watch it and it, it, go back and watch it and just watch all the things that are just kind of looked over. Like bad parenting, you know, they had to get in the airplane before they realized they'd forgotten one of their children. You know, the police, like they don't do a good job. They go and they knock on the door. They know the, the kid's missing, but they don't go inside, which is like, you probably should just go check it out, you know? Um, but then even Kevin McAllister's not the hero of the story, and yet we look over that. How many of you are like, no, Kevin's the hero? 
Like he put all the traps out. No, he got caught. And I think they were going to bite his fingers off. And then the old man who's been looked over the entire time hits the guys in the head with a shovel. And he then what he does is he just takes Kevin back to his house and then leaves him alone again. Like it's this movie of constant like, no, you're you, protect the kid, right? Like stay there. But they just continually look over things. But that's what we do. We have a tendency Because we're selfish, because we're about our will to look over things, to busy ourselves, because our identities aren't set in the right place. You see, it's important not to look over these first few verses because, man, the location and the person weren't expected. uh, Nazareth was looked over. Mary would have been looked over. The Messiah they were looking for would come and he would uh, be a king that would be born in a palace, right? But that's not what happens in the story. You see, Nazareth was considered during this time period a non-place. It was a crime-ridden stop halfway between port cities and Galilee. No one cared about Nazareth. It was actually despised by the Jews because it was an ethnically mixed population. It wasn't pure Jewish and they didn't like that. This is why Nathaniel in John chapter 1, whenever they say, hey, this guy Jesus is from Nazareth, he says what? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was looked over. You see, this is what God does. He uses the overlook to fulfill His purposes. He uses the lowly to confound the wise, the weak to be victorious over the strong. And He will use a virgin from Nazareth to bring about the redemption of not simply His people, but the entire cosmos. So we have an overlooked place, but we also have Mary, an overlooked person. Now, Mary, who was probably just a a peasant girl that was likely illiterate and uh, only knew uh, uh, probably the amount of scripture that she had been given and memorized as a child and and heard in the synagogues. Uh, She was probably around 14 years old when this visitation happens. Really, her life was kind of set up just to be a poor carpenter's wife that uh, lived a meaningless everyday life. But that's not what happens. She was a nobody in the middle of nowhere, and yet God would use her to bring about the fulfillment of expected praise. And as one writer states, as we see this transpire, we have to accept the spiritual fact that this spiritual fact of the gospel, the Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without Him, they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. You see, the incarnation, salvation, resurrection, and Christmas are not for the proud and self-sufficient. Guess what? You can't earn your salvation by the number of presents you buy this year. You probably can't even make your children. You can't make your children ultimately happy by the number of presents. It's not going to happen. You can't do enough. You see, the other thing we need to note in this, in terms of looking over, and for the follower of Jesus, you need to know today, God doesn't look over those He loves. He sees you. So go to Him. Another thing we need to note is that Mary is our model for all who experience the new birth of salvation that only comes through Jesus. 
We're going to see that throughout the story today. So let's let's just break down Gabriel's introduction. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This term greeting is not a simple hello. He's not just saying, hey, hi. That, That word actually means rejoice. He is declaring, calling her to rejoice and worship. And man, does she have reasons to rejoice? And the reasons he says, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. See, Mary has found special favor and presence with God. She has found favor in that she was specially favored, that she would carry the literal manifestation of grace that would be salvation for all of creation. Then we see presence, Lord with you, is actually a term used for presence. And it carries, uh, it's a meaning that, that declares the power of God's presence that's found throughout the lives of those major players that you see throughout the Old Testament. When the Spirit of God would come upon them. Again, do not be so quick to look over that which seems insignificant. So Gabriel introduces himself and then look at Mary's response It says that she was greatly troubled, which on the one hand, uh, it was probably because uh, Gabriel stood in her presence, right? And as I said last week, they're not heart playing angel babies, right? Like this is a uh, a figure uh, uh, that 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 resides in heaven and gives praise to the glory of God at all times, right? Like (laughs) this is a glorious being that probably made her a bit troubled, but but it's deeper than that because it says that she was also troubled at his saying. It says that she tried to discern the reasoning for the greeting. Mary's wrestling with like, why why me? Like, who am I? What's going on here? You see, even though Mary was young, even though she was seemingly insignificant, even though she was likely uh, even illiterate, she was not shallow. She was contemplative. and, And guess what? Contemplation... For the follower of Jesus is a grace to our lives. And Mary in this moment displays that grace. And I think that, that, that we could take notes and follow her example. You see, Mary slows down enough to listen and think about God's words here. In the midst of the frantic nature for us, not simply in the midst of the Christmas season, but man, let's just be honest, every season, man, this is something that we should learn to practice. Because guess what? To experience the birth of God's grace in one's life, you must have to take time to ponder the Word of God. As I was preparing for this, I read uh, an example about a poet and a Quaker woman that I thought was just really neat. So uh, a long time ago, there was a poet named Southie. And he was talking to this old Quaker woman, uh, and he was telling her everything that he did in a day. And he said, you know, when I wake up, when I'm getting ready, I practice Portuguese grammar. And then when I eat breakfast, I learn this. And when, I, when I'm getting dressed, I'm learning this. And when I go out, I'm doing... And he tells her all these things, and he gets done. And this old Quaker woman looks at him, and, and really slowly and quietly, she says, but when do you take time to think? And the question, when do you take time to think, is the perfect question for us, is it not? Like in your day in, day out life, when are you taking time just to con- contemplate and think, right? 
Some of you are like, oh, I got children. I tell them that all the time. Like, what are you thinking, right? Like, but I'm not talking exactly about that. I was like, when are you taking time to slow down enough to think about God's word and who God is and what he has done and what he has for you? When do we who are called to seek and know the grace of God that is not bestowed because of what we do, but because of who we know, when do we take the time to contemplate and think about the condition of our hearts? To meditate on His Word and focus on where He's leading us. When do you take the time to just sit back and say, God, what are you doing in my midst right now? Because I just want to know about that. We should use another Quaker term. There's another Quaker term that we need to learn during this season and every season. And the term is this. We need to learn to center down. To center down is to ponder things that really matter. To be serious before God and devote our lives once again to His will. That guess what? We tend to easily look over. And the reason we tend to easily look it over is because often we're looking at our own willfulness and what we want. How many of you feel that right now? Like how many of you like Christmas has already drawn you to just like deep anger and resentment? Like how many of you are already like, nope, got to schedule some counseling, you know, like it's family, right? Like, uh, you know, you're, you're already angry, you're already worn out, you're already a bit frantic. And we need to center down. And just rest and contemplate. But let's continue because let's see what the angel says. He says in ver- beginning in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. All right, so as Mary reflects in troubled pondering and contemplation, Gabriel continues. He says, look, Mary, don't fear. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive and bear a son named Jesus, and he will be great and will be called son of the most high. Now, let's just stop for a moment because, man, if Mary did not already have enough to ponder, she gets further details about God's plans, and they're as follows. First, she, a virgin, will bear a son and name him Jesus. And, you know, to her, like in the moment, that's not that far-fetched, right? Like she is betrothed to Joseph. And so in her mind, she's like, yeah, one day I'll get married. We'll have kids. Okay, I'll have a boy and his name will be Jesus. I can do that. But it's the next part that really just kind of begins to just expound. And you're like, wait a second. Because he says, look, his name will be Jesus, which again means savior, but it wasn't an uncommon name. It was a common name during this time period. He says, his name will be Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the most high. That phrase son of the most high literally means he will be God's son. That's where you, that's where you're like, wait a second. 
And then if that wasn't enough, he continues by proclaiming the promise made to David in 2 Samuel 7, which is where we get uh, this promise of the Davidic covenant, right? Where the Messiah would come and that he would take the throne of David and he would rule forevermore. That's what Gabriel quotes here. He says, you're going to have a son named Savior and he's going to be God's son. And guess what? He's also the Messiah. I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time with just basic information that people tell me, much less wrestling with the Word of God. And so just imagine what Mary's feeling in this moment. But you see, in the midst of all this, look at her response. We're just going to read verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? So humble And reflective Mary takes in all she's been told and her response is, how can this be? Now, now this is not a question of disbelief. This is a question of biology. It's like, God, how, how could you do that? But along with it being a question of biology, it's also a question of belief that all who come to follow Jesus must be met with and ask. You see, we should all, all who follow Jesus, have to ask the question, how is this possible? How is it possible for you to bring life to my deadness? To bring rebirth to my brokenness? To bring joy from the midst of my sin and shame? How is it possible? In the same way Mary asks how life is going to be brought forth inside of her, we too must ask God, how can we experience, how we can experience the life of Jesus within us? Also, I want to note the difference here between her response and Zachariah's response because they kind of look similar. Zachariah, when told he's going to have a son, he says, well, I'm old and my wife is barren. How's that going to happen? Mary's response is, how can this happen? I'm a virgin, right? They look pretty similar, but there's two different things going on here. The difference is that Mary's response is centered upon the work of God taking place in and through her, while Zechariah's response is focused on how he might accomplish it in his own power and strength now when it hasn't worked in the past. Zechariah's response is focused on his performance and his own willfulness, while Mary's response is focused on the power of God and her willingness to be used by God. So today, how are you responding to Jesus in obedience? Are you saying, God, that's never worked before. Guess what? I've tried. But if you want me to, I'll try harder. Which, guess what? That doesn't work. It's not in you. It's only by the grace of God, right? It's all of grace. And man, praise God, James 4, 6, there is more grace. Or is it like Mary? who just says, God, how are you going to do that? Because right now, the way things look, it's not, I know I can't do it. So how are you responding to Jesus? Let's look at Gabriel's answer. Verses 35 through 37. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
So Gabriel begins by telling Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of God will overshadow her. This in this moment, I want you is is one is no in no way is this union between deity and a woman. Rather, the word overshadow that's used is the same word that describes God's presence in the temple. It's the same word that describes Jesus when he's when God's presence is on the mount when Jesus is transfigured. But also, this would be an experience that Mary would feel because guess what? Anytime the Spirit of God becomes upon anyone, they know it. Not only do they know it, they're changed. Each and every time. This again is another mark of belief in following Jesus. For all who experience new birth in Christ, experience the presence of God and the life-giving work of the Spirit that comes upon us and gives us life within The good news of the gospel is that salvation comes not from something we can do for ourselves, but life from above that is living, that is growing, and is something that we can know. Following this explanation, Gabriel, not Gary, Gabriel shares with Mary the news of Elizabeth. And her child that came, even though she was barren. And then he closes with this, with this message of it. It's good news. This is a gospel message. He says, nothing will be impossible with God. What that really means is no word of God will be thwarted. His, his word will hold true. Not because of what you do, but guess what? His word will hold true because it's his word and he will do it. God will fulfill his words. So let's close now with Mary's response to all that's been shared with her by reading. uh, I'm going to read verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary's response was simply that she was not her own, but that she was a servant to be used by the Lord and that all that has been said should be according to. To the word of God. You see Mary in this moment. Could have come up with a list of reasons. Why she shouldn't be the one. Why she was too busy. While she still needed to get herself together. But she didn't do that. Rather she simply submitted her life. And all the difficulty. And all the unknowns that were going to come. Her way. Mary, again, is a model for all who follow Christ in that she lived her life in submission to God's word. And guess what? We, as one commentator says, cannot experience Christ and his ongoing power without totally surrendering ourselves to him. It's not possible. So today, is your life submitted to God like Mary's was? Because you can say all the right things. You, you can proclaim for God's will to be done. But you can do it in anger, with clenched fists, and with unbelief. While clinging to your will. But in doing so, you experience no life and certainly no joy. 
Or you can learn what it means to live a life that stops overlooking the things that are of real importance by centering down and taking time to contemplate what God is calling you to in this and every season. And through it all, you should continually ask God how He's going to accomplish this by His power because it cannot be by yours. And yet, no matter what comes, you are simply a servant of the King. And so let it be done according to His will and not yours. See, that's what we're after. That, that's what we want to take. That, that's why we take the season so that we might slow down enough to say, God, I want this to be a practice in all of my life. But let me be so, let me be countercultural by your grace, not so that I can pat myself on the back and look good, but let me be countercultural in a way that says, no, we're not going to go the way culture goes. We're going to be about you. Because you're the only one that has the power to change anything. You're the true one that's risen and reigning. And so we slow down and we take time daily to contemplate and say, God, what are you doing in this season? We follow the example that we saw last week when fathers, men are joined to the hearts of their children and children of their fathers by saying, hey, uh, as as husbands, as wives, as parents, man, how are we going to engage one another's hearts in this season? Now, is it easy and neat and pretty? No. We've been doing our Advent guide every day with our kids, and it most of the time is just a three-ring circus. Each ring is a child, right? And they're just always somewhere different. And I'm like, I just got to get through two pages, guys. Or they're raising their hands, and I'm like, what are you? I'm thinking they're going to say something spiritual, and then they talk about elephants. And I'm like, this is not even in the story. Uh, but we want to slow down. Each day we do this with our family, but once a week we sit down for dinner and we have Advent candles at our table and we sit at the big table for these nights, you know. Uh, and we sit down and we light a candle and man, we got to talk about Jesus and, his, and this week it was so neat and what it reminded me that it was so worth it to take time to not overlook and, and or, or become upset because food's flying everywhere or, uh, you know, people are running in circles and always needing to go to the bathroom for some reason. And, and, and we're sitting there and I'm like, well, guys, what is this season about? And they said, well, it's about baby Jesus. And I said, what else is it about? And my son, my oldest son said, well, it's about that man. He died and rose again. I said, man, praise God. Like that, you know, that. I said, but guess what? It's about more. And Jesus and, and my oldest daughter said, yeah, he's coming back. And I said, that's it. Let's talk about that. Because we want them to know over and over again, it's more about Jesus than it is about Santa. It's more about Jesus than it is about the presence. But guess what? It's always like that. Because there's going to be new wants and desires on December 26th, right? Starts the calendar right over. That list starts to grow in. What do I want? The tally marks start coming out. Of, like, you know, I got I to gotta be good. And what if we use this season to tell our kids, like, man, in the midst of this, we don't want behavior modification. We want you to know that Jesus was good enough for you and that he sees you. Maybe we would submit like Mary did and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but it's only going to be by your power and let me just be a servant and do your will. And so I'm going to invite the team to come back up. I mean, we're going to uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to respond 
Man, today as we respond, I want you to just, man, just allow the, the Spirit of God just to maybe reveal things you're looking over that are of importance, but you've kind of set them off to the side. Maybe to just lay down just the angst and everything else that's just kind of taken over and just say, no, Jesus, I just want to sit at your feet. I want to contemplate and ponder how good you are. And so we want you to do that. But also, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come share in communion. As you share in communion, you are reminded of the King that came and is coming again. The Lamb of God that that was sacrificed for us so that we might have life. But that is coming back as 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 a King forevermore that's going to make all things new. And then we would celebrate in song. So today, how do you need to center down? How do you need to ponder and be present? And where do you need to respond in submission? Don't allow this season to become a burden of enslavement where you're like, okay, we've got to do all this and we're going to do all this. Let it become a season of rest that leads into a life of rest. So Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love is enough. That it is good for our souls. That it is what we ultimately need for life and for living. God, as we uh, think upon that love, that we would be reminded that you see us. God, for the Father Jesus, you indwell us. God, may that lead to surrender. May that lead to such freedom that we would stop performing and and quit trying to control everything around us, but just simply say, you know, I I don't know how this is going to happen. God, I trust you. I'm your servant. Let your word be true. Let your word be fulfilled. May that be our hearts and may that be the mark of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.